Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 200, Urban the Sixth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So last episode, we ended on an incredible cliffhanger. The last French pope died in Rome after his return from Avignon. The papacy had been absent from Rome for decades, and the people of Rome were sick of it. The city was falling into decay, and the countryside was revolting, and the French cardinals and officials who had been governing the area were incompetent at best and were certainly not Romans. And since the Holy Father had died in Rome, the conclave would most likely be in Rome, and the Romans would be wanting a Roman pope again and not a French one, and everyone knew this. They didn't need a mob to let them know, though the threat of one was there from the very beginning. If you remember from a couple episodes, Blessed Urban V was elected Pope while he was in Italy, and they did not announce it until he could get back to Avignon because there was fear that that there would be rioting and that he could be harmed because he wasn't Italian. And so this is a big deal. There's a lot of pressure. On April 7, 1378, the cardinals assembled at the Vatican to select a new Pope. There were 16 present, 11 French four Italian, and one Spanish. As the cardinals entered the Vatican, the people of Rome cried out that they wanted a Roman, and Roman officials begged the cardinals before they were locked in to make an Italian the next pope. The people stayed outside their windows all night, shouting for a Roman, or at very least, an Italian. Meanwhile, inside, on the first ballot, the cardinals did indeed choose an Italian, although not a Roman. By the vote of 15 to 1, they elected Archbishop Bartolomeo Prignano, who was not a cardinal, In fact, he was the last non-cardinal to be elected pope, and he was the Archbishop of Bari in the Kingdom of Naples. Stunned that such a unanimous election happened on the first ballot, they voted a second time just to make sure. And again, the vote was 15 for one abstention this time. The one abstention was Cardinal Giacomo Orsini of the well-known Roman Orsini family, and so one of the few Italians president. Cardinal Orsini later admitted that he refused to vote for Archbishop Bartolomeo because of a long-standing personal hatred for him. Now, after the election, Cardinal Orsini proposed that the announcement of the Pope's election be delayed, lest the crowd find out that the cardinals had indeed elected a non-Roman. But he was overruled in this manner. Many of the cardinals declared in writing, in writing, that their choice was a free choice and that Archbishop Bartolomeo was indeed the Pope, despite the pressure of the crowd. And this is going to be important as we move forward. Now, the crowd had heard a rumor that a pope had been elected and was getting riotous again, and the cardinals had to wait until Archbishop Bartolomeo arrived in Rome. Fearing for their safety, some of them tried to get the elderly and sick cardinal Francesco Tebaldeschi to go out and pretend to be the pope, since he was a Roman and he would calm the Roman mob down. So they forced him into the papal regalia, they threw him on the chair, they wheeled him out to the crowd, and when the crowd asked for a blessing, Cardinal Tebaldeschi refused, saying that he wasn't the pope at all but no one would listen to him. And while he distracted the crowd, several of the French cardinals snuck out of the Vatican for safety. Meanwhile, the people people finally started listening to Cardinal Tebaldeschi that a pope had been elected and that he was an Italian, and that it wasn't him. Now, the cardinals, though they were fearful, were adamant about their choice. Cardinal Pedro de Luna, who we're going to meet again soon, I promise, wrote back to Spain, We have elected a real pope. The Romans may tear me limb from limb before they get me to go back on today's election. Likewise, Cardinal Robert of Geneva, who we met last week as the the butcher of Cesena, and who we're going to talk about more later, wrote to the Holy Roman Emperor informing him of the legitimate election of the Archbishop of Bari as Pope. 
The cardinals were present two weeks later when Archbishop Bartolomeo was crowned Pope Urban VI at the Lateran. But fairly quickly, many of them slipped out of Rome and met up again at Agnani for fear of the Roman crowd. And that number will eventually grow, and that won't bode well for the future. In fact, it's about to get a lot worse, not better. But before we get there, we need to turn back and learn more about who Pope Urban VI is. Bartolomeo Prignano was born in 1318 in Naples. His father was believed to be a merchant from Pisa and his mother a member of the minor nobility of Naples. He studied canon law at Naples where he earned his doctorate and then he served as the rector of the canon law university and as a deacon in the cathedral in Naples. Eventually he became the vicar general for the diocese. In March of 1363 he was named Bishop of Assurenza and in that role, he stood up for the freedom of the church against secular authorities, using in particular his canon law background to make that case. He was then later appointed Archbishop of Bari in southern Italy in 1377. Fairly early on, he started living in Avignon and working in the papal curia, and not living in his diocese. He was known to be a good administrator, an effective and learned practitioner of the law, and a holy and judicious man, which is why the cardinals were trying to pick a pope in Rome who were its Italian, Archbishop Bartolomeo came to mind because a lot of them knew him from Avignon. Now the challenge was that when he was elected Pope, Urban VI was not the best in that particular role. He had a desire to bring about a reform in the Curia, but he wasn't very tactful about it. He was overly rigid and at times verbally harsh towards the other cardinals. And immediately this started to drive them away. By June of 1378, several of them had moved to Agnani and the Pope was supposed to meet them there, but he was convinced not to by a fellow Italian bishop who thought there was some sort of conspiracy against the Pope. And the reason for the requested meeting was that the cardinals began to think that his election was illegitimate, partially because of the pressure of the crowds, but partially because they just didn't like him. Pope Urban refused to go to the meeting and instead sent the Italian cardinals to join the French cardinals in Agnani to settle the dispute. On July 20th, the cardinals in Agnani declared the election which they had all initially certified as being legitimate, as being null and void. On August 9th, they proclaimed that the See of Rome was vacant, and they moved north to the town of Fondi. There they heard from King Charles V of France, who encouraged them to elect a new pope, and so there in Fondi they proceeded to do so. Thirteen of the cardinals there elected Robert of Geneva, as we said, the Butcher of Cesena, who we met last episode, and he became uh, an anti-pope, and he became anti-pope while the rest of the, the cardinals abstained. Robert took the name Clement VII, and thus was begun what history will come to know as the Great Western Schism in the Church. Now we have to pause here because this is a momentous point in our story that needs to be digested. We have a legitimate pope in Rome, Urban VI. That's why his name is at the beginning of this episode. But we have an anti-pope now who will make his way to Avignon in Clement VII. And this anti-pope wasn't randomly set up by an emperor or king, but was elected by basically all of the cardinals, who are now saying that the first election wasn't legitimate. On top of that, each side is going to attract supporters from various kingdoms and emperors across, the, across Europe. Now, in the past situations with anti-popes, one side was usually able to rally everyone to their cause and show their legitimacy. And while Pope Urban VI has St. Catherine of Siena on his side, furiously denouncing the cardinals in Avignon, and that's not nothing, the other, the anti-pope, had France, Spain, Naples, Scotland, and parts of the Holy Roman Emperor on his side, and they sided with him pretty quickly, which left just really England and other parts of the empire and Hungary on Pope Urban's side. Now, this hurt not only the church's credibility in the world, but it was particularly the simple faith of the people there. 
who was the real pope? Who was excommunicated? Who do you believe? The schism is a huge scandal, and it's not going to be solved quickly. It's going to continue for the next 39 years and the next couple of episodes. And it's one of the huge turning points in church history. The solution to it will not be easy to find. Now, most of the papal staff and all of the cardinals, except for one, joined the anti-pope Clement VII in Avignon. That meant that Pope Urban VI was without any papal bureaucracy in Italy, which he had to remedy by creating 25 new cardinals on September of 1378. Most of them were from his native Naples, and many more were Italian. Which brings us to the problem with Naples. You might remember that I just said that Naples sided with the anti-pope in Avignon. Why is that? Partially, it was because the queen, Queen Joan, was upset at how Pope Urban was behaving when in the past he had been her subject, particularly because of political reasons. One of her foremost advisors was a longtime friend of the anti-pope, as was her husband, too. And so that added to the reasons why he, she sided with him. Regardless, she declared for the anti-pope in 1378, which prompted Urban to retaliate. He caused a crusade to be preached against her, he excommunicated her in 1380, and then he supported her rival and her cousin, Charles III, who in a bloody coup marched into Naples, arrested the queen, and later had her murdered in prison. Urban VI crowned Charles III king of Naples in 1381. But all was not well in Naples now that Urban's man was on the throne because he pretty early on went back on the promises he had made to the Pope before becoming king. So against the wishes of his cardinals, Urban went south to talk to Charles III face to face. Now This was a bad idea, and upon arriving, Charles locked the Pope in jail. And it was only after intense negotiations by some of his cardinals that he was released to the town of Nocera. Things deteriorated from there, with Urban unwilling to come to a compromise and Charles emboldened. Urban discovered a plot in the meantime by his own cardinals that he had just created to imprison him and have him deposed, a plot that he believed to have been funded by King Charles. And so he excommunicated those cardinals and the king, which led, the king which led to the king besieging the pope in Nocera for the next six months. So this is how bad it's gotten for Pope Urban, that his own cardinals, who he had just appointed, plotted to betray him. And he was now besieged by the king that he had gotten put on the throne in Naples. And every day, Pope Urban went up to the battlements and ceremonially excommunicated everyone in the army outside, but it was to no avail. Finally, he was rescued by some of his supporters. He had some supporters left, and he was speared away to Genoa with the rest of his cardinals. Those cardinals who had plied against him, he brought with him as well, and then he tortured them and put them to death. The rest of Urban's papacy was caught up in trying to win back control of various parts of Italy from the anti-pope's supporters, but with little success. And then when he tried to govern Rome, his temperament made the situation incredibly difficult and led to revolts by the Roman people. He was frustrated and angry with the difficulties he found himself in, and his inability and temper made the situations worse. In the meantime, the schism in the church continued to grow. In 1390, as he was on his way back to Rome, Urban fell off his mule at the town of Narni, just north of the city of Rome. A couple of months later, he died in Rome itself, most likely from the injuries stemming from the fall. He was buried in St. Peter's Basilica and was succeeded by Pope Boniface IX, but we will talk about him next time. Thanks for listening to How Bamus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.